Sometimes people look at history and they ask the question, what if? What if the Spanish Armada had successfully landed in England? What if the D-Day landings had failed? One recent TV show tries to answer the question of what if Nazi Germany and Japan had won the Second World War? And as we begin tonight, I want us to ask a what-if question of Genesis 44. What if in verse 2 here, Joseph hadn't commanded his steward to put a silver cup in Benjamin's sack? What if the brothers had been able to leave Egypt without being pursued and managed to arrive home safely with the grain they just bought? Now perhaps before we go any further I need to reassure some of you, perhaps you're thinking well there's no point asking the what if question, what happened happened and there's no point uh, speculating about how things might have gone differently. But actually the reason that I want us to ask the what if question isn't because I think there's anything deficient with what actually happens, in fact it's the opposite. Because sometimes it can help us appreciate a part of God's word even more if we ask the question, what would we lose if this wasn't here? That's something that might be helpful to ask when reading the Bible yourself at times. If you were to ask, what would I lose if this chapter wasn't in the Bible or if this event or story wasn't recorded? Because asking that question can help us see what the particular chapter in front of us contributes to God's revelation of himself. And so the reason I want us to ask the the what if question here isn't because I think there's a better alternative. But rather it's to highlight the wisdom of God in doing things the way that he did. And particularly if we ask that question of this chapter... It highlights both the wisdom of Joseph and the grace of God. The wisdom of Joseph, which points us forward to the true and better Joseph, Jesus Christ, and the grace of God. So what happens if we ask the what if question of this chapter? What happens if Joseph doesn't hide his cup in Benjamin's sack and send his steward chasing after them? Well... The brothers would have walked home with full bellies, with no one left behind. Having experienced the favour of the king's right hand man, but not having the restored relationship with him that they so desperately need. If the brothers had been allowed to return home without incident, they would still be where they've been for the last chapter and a half, spiritually speaking. The sin which they have finally acknowledged to each other after 20 years still wouldn't really have been dealt with. And nor would we have the testimony to God's grace that we have later on in this chapter that the lives of these brothers really have been changed. Yes, the brothers have to go through anguish in this chapter. But it's a trial uh, to which we could apply the words of the Apostle Peter uh, many years later. It comes about uh, so that the tested genuineness of their faith being found would be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Nor, if we were missing this chapter, would we have this beautiful picture of Judah offering himself as a substitute for another. Just as Judah's greatest descendant would one day do in a far greater way. So having asked the the what if question, we want to spend the rest of our time tonight looking at what actually did happen. To see the riches of God's grace on display that we might be moved to worship him. We have, have two headings tonight and we see firstly the brothers tested the brothers tested. What does a converted person look like? What should we expect to see in the life of a man, woman, boy or girl who has been born again by the Spirit of God? What should you expect to see in your own life if you have been converted? Well, to sum it up, a converted person will look different from what they were like before. Not just that they'll, they'll now go to church on, on Sunday rather than doing something different, but, but their whole lives will be different, Monday through Saturday as well. And that's what we see in this chapter when it comes to Joseph's brothers. What we see in these three chapters, chapters 42 to 44, isn't just that their physical journeys to Egypt and back again, but we see their journey to saving faith. Joseph pictures for us the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved son of the father. And his brothers begin the story as his enemies. They're jealous of him and they want him dead. They say effectively as they see him, him coming to them all those years ago, here's the heir, let us kill him. And yet by the end of, of the Joseph story that we're coming to, They've been reconciled to him and they bow down before him. And so yes, we see in these chapters a restored human relationship. But if that's all we see, I think we're missing out. Because it also points us to how each one of us can have a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The first step on the brother's journey to salvation is coming to see themselves as they really are. We saw that back in chapter 42. They begin the chapter protesting, we are honest men. And yet before the chapter is over, by God's grace, they come to the point of admitting, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And then in chapter 42, having seen themselves as they really are, in chapter 43, they begin to see Joseph as he really is. And they're given a preview of what life with him would be like. And so the big theme that we saw in the last chapter was fear turning to feasting. Fear turning to feasting. And yet, as we saw last time, this wasn't the end of the journey. The brother's sin hasn't really been dealt with. Yes, after 20 years, they finally confessed their sin to one another. And that is a huge breakthrough. But they haven't confessed it to anyone else. Joseph hasn't heard their confession from their own lips. And yet, wonderfully, in this chapter, he does. 
And yet, in order to get them to that point, Joseph first brings some distressing circumstances into their lives. In the opening verse of the chapter, Joseph commands his steward to put his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. Then he waits until they set out their journey and he sends his steward after them. And as instructed, the steward accosts them and says, Why have you repaid evil for good? The brothers protest their innocence and they say that if the cup is found, whoever has taken it should die and they will become Joseph's servants. They're absolutely convinced that the steward isn't going to find the cup. But the steward says, no, only the person who's found with the cup will be taken and the rest can go free. And then he opens the sacks and the cup is found in the last sack they want it to be found in. So what's this all about? Is it Joseph trying to get his own back on his brothers after all these years? No. Quite simply what is happening here is that Joseph is giving the brothers a chance to throw Benjamin under the bus. The brothers of 20 years ago would have done this in a heartbeat. But if they've really been changed by God's grace, they won't. Remember that while Benjamin was was Joseph's brother, he he was only a half-brother to the rest of them. Like Joseph, Benjamin was a son of Jacob's favourite wife, Rachel. And it's clear from these last couple of chapters that Jacob is showing Benjamin the same sort of favouritism he once showed to Joseph. Two decades before this, the brothers had sold Joseph simply because they didn't like him. Now they have the chance to do something similar to Benjamin, not out of spite, but just to save their own lives. But wonderfully, they are changed men. They don't seem to even consider the steward's offer that they will go free. Rather, they they tear their clothes to show their grief, just as Jacob had done when he heard about Joseph, and they all return back to the city. They're brought before Joseph and they fall to the ground before him. It's yet another fulfilment of his dreams all those years ago of their sheaves bowing down to his sheaf, of the 11 stars bowing down to him. But unlike the last time Joseph accused the brothers of something that they hadn't done, unlike the time he accused them of being spies, this time... There are no protests from them. This time they don't say we're honest men. This time they admit their guilt. Not not their guilt in taking the cup of course. But their guilt in what they had done to Joseph all those years before. They still don't know it's him of course. but, But they've reached the point where they feel they can't run from God's justice anymore. And maybe you or someone you know has been in that position. You've reached a point where you feel you can't run from God's justice anymore. And so what happened 20 years ago is what they're referring to when they say, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Some people might have said, look, look, you haven't taken the cup. What, what happened to Joseph was a long time ago. Just forget about it. But, but no, no. It might have been 20 years ago, but 
but that sin hasn't been dealt with. And he said, God has found out the guilt of your servants. One of the, the greatest lies that Satan wants us to believe is that time heals sin, but, but time doesn't heal sin. Only the blood of Christ heals sin. I just think how amazing it would have been for Joseph to hear their confession. On my way back up the road on Thursday, I was listening to a programme about the, the rise and fall of a well-known megachurch in Seattle. It's a church that collapsed over, overnight, almost overnight in 2014, uh, when the pastor was charged by the elders with being quick-tempered, arrogant and domineering in his leadership. And a number of those who were being interviewed said that while others who'd been involved in the church and involved in similar behaviours had contacted them to ask for forgiveness, the former pastor hadn't. And they said that they didn't bear him any ill will, but that it would just mean so much if he got in touch to acknowledge his sin and ask forgiveness for it. And Joseph, I think, is in a similar position here. It's clear from the events both before and after this that he's not bitter against his brothers. He recognises God's hand in, in what has happened. I'm sure he, he has long since realised that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. But he hasn't heard them acknowledge their sin. But now he finally does. He hears what he has longed to hear for 20 years. These are men who've stopped pretending. They're men who are finally facing up to what they've done. But even at this point, Joseph's testing of them isn't quite finished. Because he gives them another chance to sacrifice Benjamin to save themselves. You know, sometimes we, we resist temptation the first time. And then we relax and then the temptation comes again and we just fall. So they say to him in verse 16, we will be your servants. But Joseph replies, far be it from me, only the one who was found with the cup will be my servant. And you know, at this point, the brothers could say, look, we've done everything we can for Benji. The steward said that the rest of us could go free, but we didn't. We went back to the city, we went back to Joseph, we tried to talk to him, but there's no changing this man's mind, and there's no point in us all suffering. But they know they can't do that, because of what it would mean for their father. Judah paints a picture in verse 31 of what would happen if he arrived home without Benjamin. And he says, as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die and your servants will bring down the grey hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. Twenty years before, these same brothers had got rid of Joseph, not caring about the distress uh, that, that Joseph would suffer as a result, or caring about what their father would suffer as a result. But now they're turning down the chance to go free, because that freedom would mean nothing to them because of what it would do to their father. These are, are changed men who stand before Joseph. And he can see that now. It's crystal clear. Joseph has pretended to be their enemy. Not because he hates them, but to test them. And they've passed the test. 
And God might do the same to us. The Puritan Richard Sibbs says that Christ may act the part of an enemy for a little while as Joseph did. Perhaps God will seem distant from us for a time. Or he'll bring distressing circumstances into our lives. Just as Joseph here arranges for the silver cup to be put in the sack. I'm sure the brothers opened their sacks and thought this is the very last thing that we need. And sometimes God sends things into our lives and we think that, maybe we even say, we say this is the last thing I need. But if God has sent it, then we need it. If God has sent it, then we need it. There is a purpose in it. Nothing is needful that he withholds. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing is needful that he withholds. Everything is needful that he sends. And here, Joseph's purpose is to make it clear that the brothers had changed. A converted person is a changed person. If you've been born again tonight, and if you were to be put in the same circumstances you were before your conversion, you would act differently now. Maybe not every time, but to be converted is to be changed. And we will react differently to the same circumstances. Not because we're trying to earn God's favour, but because he's already changed our hearts. Because he has been so good to us. Because he has opened our hearts to not just think about ourselves anymore. As we see with the brothers. They're thinking not just of the consequences for them, but they're thinking of the consequences for others. So firstly, tonight we see the brothers tested. Secondly, and a bit more briefly, we see the substitute offered. The substitute offered. The change in the lives of the brothers is seen not just in their refusing to sacrifice Benjamin for their own freedom... But it's also seen in one of them offering to sacrifice his own freedom for Benjamin. Not only do they refuse to sacrifice Benjamin for their own freedom. But Judah offers to sacrifice his own freedom for Benjamin. Almost exactly half of this chapter, verses 18 to the end, are taken up with a plea that Judah makes to Joseph. To sum it up, Judah is saying, take me instead of him. Take me instead of him. 20 years ago, the brothers had ignored the pleading cries of a son of Rachel. Uh, But now one of them steps forward to sacrifice himself in the place of another son of Rachel. It's yet more evidence that the brothers have changed. But it's also more than that. It's also a picture of the gospel. Do you remember what it was in the last chapter that had convinced Jacob to change his mind? It was something that Judah had said. Judah says, chapter 43, verse 9, I will be a pledge of a safety. From my hand you will require him. In other words, Judah had made a covenant with his father that he would personally guarantee the life of his little brother and bring him safely home. And if that sounds familiar... Well, the Lord Jesus has made the same promise to his father. 
He made a covenant with his father before the foundation of the world that he would come and redeem us and that he would bring us safely back to our father. The Lord Jesus refers to that covenant, for example, in John chapter 6, where he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Or in John chapter 10, where he talks about laying down his life, and he says, This charge I have received from my Father. It's something they have agreed to do. What is Judah in this chapter? Well, he's a man sent by his father with a specific charge of saving his younger brother. And in doing so, he points us to the Lord Jesus, who through adoption becomes our elder brother and who came on a mission from his father to save us and bring us back to the father. We who are, are not just separated by the father from, by distance, but we who are estranged and cut off from the Father because of our sin. So far in the Joseph story, we've seen how Joseph is a type of Christ. Uh, A type uh, means someone who in their character or actions uh, points us forward to someone or something greater. But in this section, it's Judah who's the type of Christ. And like all types, he points forward to a greater reality. The type always falls short of what it points to because it's just a signpost. Judah's sacrificing of himself for Benjamin, it falls short of Jesus sacrificing for us in a number of important ways. While Judah offered to sacrifice his freedom, unlike Jesus, he didn't offer to sacrifice his life. Unlike Jesus, Judah didn't actually end up taking his brother's place because although he genuinely offered to, that offer wasn't accepted. Whereas Jesus did go through with his sacrifice for us and he stood in our place not as a servant of a king in a foreign land, but he stood in our place to bear the wrath of God. And Jesus' mission was a success. Judah says in verse 34, For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? His mission must be successful or he can't return to his father. And likewise, Jesus only returns to his father after successfully completing the mission uh, that he came to accomplish. When Jesus is arrested, he tells the soldiers to let his disciples go free. And we're told that this was to fulfill the word which he had spoken of. Those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. He says in his high priestly prayer in John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Unlike Judah, there's nothing that can stop Jesus finishing his mission. And he has finished that mission in achieving salvation for his people. And so can you see the gospel as it's pictured here? Maybe you think you're a good person, uh, perhaps compared to other people you are. But being a good person won't help Benjamin now that the guilty charge has been laid against him. 
he needs someone else to take his place. And in Judah, he is someone who has promised to do exactly that. Someone who is his flesh and blood. Someone who could stand in his place. And you too have someone who has promised to stand in your place. If only you will accept that offer. The Lord Jesus has borne the wrath of God in the place of his people. And if you will put your trust in him, then you can go free. He will take your guilt and you'll get his record of perfect obedience. And if you are trusting him tonight, but, but sometimes you wonder whether you'll make it to heaven. Sometimes you doubt. I'm trusting in Jesus, but, but will I make it to heaven? I'm not as good as these other Christians around me. Well, remember that Jesus has promised to be your pledge of safety. Judah could make that promise, but he couldn't guarantee Benjamin's safety. But Jesus guarantees yours. Jesus guarantees yours. And the very fact that he has risen from the grave and returned to his father means that he has completed the work that he came to do. There's nothing left for you to add. And so whether the week ahead is an amazing week for you in your walk with God, if you enjoy your Bible reading, it is a delight this week and not just a duty. If prayer seems to, to almost come naturally, if you have opportunities to share your faith, or if your Christian performance this week is, is 5 out of 10 at best. Well, your salvation doesn't depend on your performance, but on the one who is the pledge of safety for you. Who is your pledge of safety? If it is Jesus Christ, your safety is secure. But just as we start to draw things to a close tonight... The sacrifice that Judah is, is willing to make in this chapter, and in fact the sacrifice that all the brothers are, prefer, are prepared to make for Benjamin to some extent, it doesn't just point us to Jesus, but it also points us to the spirit of Jesus who was at work in each one of them. Because if the Holy Spirit is in us, then he will be making us more like Jesus. And to be like Jesus involves being willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. To sacrifice our own wants, comforts, pleasures for the good of others. To sacrifice our time. Even at that, that time we have perhaps marked off as me time. But something comes up. Just like when, when Jesus and, and his disciples uh, went away and Jesus told them to rest a while and, and the crowds came to them like sheep without a shepherd. It brings us back to what we saw this morning that he who tries to save his life will lose it but whoever loses it for Jesus and the gospel's sake will save it. The spirit of Jesus in us will make us self sacrificial can we stand at the foot of the cross and say that any sacrifice is too big and so as you meditate on this chapter this week which which i hope you will let the willing sacrifice of judah point you forward to the far greater sacrifice of judah's great descendant jesus christ and pray that the Spirit of Christ would more and more lead you in his footsteps.
And so we've seen tonight clear evidence that the brothers have been changed. Why is it because they're now older and wiser? No, being left to ourselves, growing older, will just calcify us in our sins. But rather the change about them has been brought about by the Spirit of Jesus at work in them. And by God's grace, may that same Spirit be at work in our lives too. May we react differently tomorrow to that situation that we would once have responded sinfully to. May we share the self-sacrificial spirit that's seen in Judah and ultimately seen in Jesus Christ. And may we follow the Apostles' command that through love we should serve one another. And so as this chapter ends, the stage is finally set for the reunion with Joseph in the next chapter. And if, if we have been anxiously waiting for that to happen over these last three chapters, well, so has Joseph. Uh, it's not that, that he's, he's wanted to do this and put his brothers through all this. I'm sure that from the very moment he saw them, he, he wanted to say, look, it's me. I'm alive. It's okay. But we've seen also his reasons for doing what he did. It was for their benefit. Uh, And we know that he's eager to reveal himself to them because as we see from the very start of the next chapter, he can't hide himself from them anymore. He can't keep on acting as their enemy. 45 verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself uh, and he goes on to, to reveal himself to them. He can't, on, he can't keep on acting as their enemy. And so to give you the rest of the Sibs quote from earlier. Christ may act the part of an enemy a little while as Joseph did. But it is to make way for acting his part of mercy in a seasonable time. He cannot restrain his heart of mercy long. Know that this week in whatever you face. He cannot restrain his heart of mercy long. And so next week, God willing, we will see Joseph acting in mercy to his brothers. Because like our Saviour, he cannot restrain his heart of mercy for long. Amen. Well, perhaps as we've gone through these last three chapters, we've been asking ourselves, how long, how long before Joseph reveals himself? How long do the the brothers have to go through this misery and and torture? And how long is a question that, that God's people ask at various times of their lives? Perhaps God seems distant Or maybe God seems to be throwing a spanner into the works of our lives, just like the silver cup being put into Benjamin's sack. Or we just feel bowed down with with our our sin and our our sanctification seems to be so slow and we ask how long. It's a question God's people often ask in the Psalms and they do so in Psalm 80. Uh, Psalm 80, uh, which we'll sing from now in closing. Psalm number 80, page 181. Psalm 80, page 181. Uh, the four verses there on the page. And the tune is Finlandia 280, tune 280. Uh, Joseph, the, the name Joseph is actually mentioned in the second line of the psalm as a description of God's people. 
And then in verse 2 comes the question, Lord God of hosts, how long will you in wrath your people's prayers reject? It is okay to ask the question, how long? We see it again and again in the Psalms, but we don't ask that question despairingly. We ask it in anguish, perhaps, but we don't ask it as those who have no hope. Look how verse 2 ends. We will be saved. We will be saved. And why can we be so confident that even at the very moment we're asking how long, we can also say we will be saved? Well, we can be confident because we know that while Christ may act the part of an enemy for a little while, he cannot restrain his heart of mercy long. So Psalm 80, 1-4, we'll stand and sing praise.